I automatically thought of what's going on. The album came out in 1971. Vietnam War was still going on. So the black soldiers, they were hearing that album where they were in, in, in boot camp in, in, in the United States or when they were sent halfway around the world to the American war. When you yes. go to Vietnam and you say the Vietnam War, you were politely reminded, we did not call it that. I'm speaking as the Vietnamese people. They no. say it is the American War. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Spike Lee's new adventure drama, The Five Bloods. The film follows four African-American veterans who battle the forces of both man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. In addition to The Five Bloods, Mr. Lee's directorial credits include the feature films She's Gotta Have It, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, and Shy Rock. He was nominated for the DGA's Feature Film Award for his 2018 feature Black Klansman, and was awarded with the DGA Honors in 2002. Mr. Lee spoke with director Kevin Wilmot about filming to Five Bloods in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, everybody. This is our conversation tonight with uh, the one and only the director of the Five Bloods, the man himself, Mr. Spike Lee. How you doing, Spike? Good, good, good. And, and look, Please tell the people you were the co-writer. Yes. yes. <laughs> let them know. Let them know. Let them know. <laughs> yeah, thank you, brother. Uh, I'm Kevin Wilmot, uh, the moderator tonight and the co-writer with my my guys, uh, Danny Bilson, Paul DeMaio. Uh, we're all the, the late the late Paul DeMaio. Late Paul DeMaio. Uh, wish I could have met that brother. Um, we're all writers on the film with Spike. And let's give love to Lloyd Levin right away, who blessed us with the opportunity to do this. Yes, indeed. Thanks so much, Lloyd. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, the great Lloyd Levin, fabulous producer. Uh, how you doing tonight, Spike? Well, I'm feeling better, but it looked like we were on the, the, the brink the other day, <laughs> January 6th. But I like to, let's, I, let's point this out from, for, the, for the get-go, my brother. Let people know that you. We also co-wrote Black Klansman, and we had Agent Orange. Shout out to Buster Rhymes, my Brooklyn brother, who came up with that term. We had Bust. We had Agent Orange in Black Klansman, and we had Agent Orange in The Five Bloods. Yes, indeed. So, and and, and for Black Klansman. Well, we ended with Charlottesville, and he said there's good people on both sides. And in uh, the Five Bloods, we had the whole thing, Blacks for Trump. <laughs> but also had the character, Paul, played by the great, great Delroy Lindo, who's finally getting recognition after all these years putting in much work, Dude. wearing that MAGA hat. Throughout the, <laughs> and and he didn't he didn't he didn't really want to do it right off the bat, did he? Nah, nah, nah. He had some hesitation, but he came around, talked to his beautiful wife, 
And, you know, when you got your queen with you, you know, sometimes we don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but being, being 26 years married to my beautiful queen, Tanya, you know, when the queen speaks, you got to listen. You know, you, so bet, you, uh, better, you better show up and listen. Yes, indeed. You might not be liking what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and you can post yeah. on that, my brother. Yes, indeed. You got to listen. You got to listen. Yes. And, and uh, Delroy came around. An interesting thing about the five bloods, a lot of people missed that hat that's introduced in the film by Deroy's character, Paul, is worn by many people throughout the whole film. Yes. People miss that. Yes, yes. They missed it. Yeah, we, we kind of use it almost like a, a horror motif where it's kind of it's kind of passed around the whole the whole film, man. <laughs> what that is, that's that screenwriting scientific mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do, baby. That's what we do. But we do. That's what we do. Iraq, Black Klansman, and now uh, the Five Bloods. That's three, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Hey, man. Thank you, brother. Uh, thank you. Park, man. Knocked thank him way out the park. Thank you. You know, you know, while we're talking about this. Another film, thing, though. Yeah. You know, a lot of films I've done, bamboozled. 20th hour, Summer Sam, you know, they didn't really hit when they came out, but were discovered later. I think the same thing's going to happen to Chirac. Uh, you know, I think that's right, man. I think that's right. In fact, a, a woman from Oxford. Even just... in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Even in Chicago. <laughs> that's right. You know, while we're talking about um, these things, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, that thing you mentioned about Black Klansmen and the Five Bloods, it's the fact that we're in this kind of historic moment right now. And history, history, both of them. Yeah. And, you know, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, because a lot of directors, you know, they're not willing to kind of take a chance like that to kind of stake their claim and make make a comment, you know, state, state an opinion like that. What do you I think? I got the answer. I got the answer. My brother, my close friends call me Negro Domus. They <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, Spike, you be with you be ridiculous before Jabbers. <laughs> Negro Domus. Negro Domus. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Look at that. Let me tell yeah. you. Look yeah. at Ray Raheem. Look at Al Gardner. Look at George Floyd. Right. I wrote Do the Right Thing 1988. Came out this summer 89. Simple as that. Negro Damas. Negro Damas. <laughs> you got the globe, man. You got the globe in the back room. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you like my friend. Look, I, look, I know I'm, I'm making a joke of uh, I ain't lying. Be like, Spike, yo, you would, you be. Predicting it before she <laughs> Don't don't you think a, a lot of it comes from the fact that you're just willing to go there, though? You know. Well, I think uh, I, I, that's true, but I think that 
you gotta you gotta know you gotta read books and, and understand history. Yeah. yeah. Because she be repeating itself. <laughs> Non-stop, right? Non-stop. And Non-stop. it's like like here's the thing though. I was not again everything I say tonight, my audience, and also thank you for tuning in. Everything I say is Spike Lee talking. Myself, I'm not the spokesperson. Never try to put myself as a spokesperson for anybody but myself. But if you look at the history of the United States of America, I was not aghast or surprised by what happened on January 6th. What we saw is what we've seen in the history of the United States. It was just another name for it. Lynch mob. Yes, indeed. Lynch mob. Lynch mob is a beautiful sister. Billie Holiday sang strange fruit that then they knew. Yeah, they wanted to get old Pence, didn't they? They wanted to hang, hang on Mike. Uh, they were they were there to kill people. They were there to kill people. That's right. They were there. And here's the thing, though, which which is also said universally, like I'm just paraphrasing, but black and brown folks around the world, not in the United States, are saying like, yeah, it had been some black and brown people trying to do that. It would have been bodies would have been stacked. Yes, indeed. Stacked. Stacked. Yep. Yep. So anybody want to compare what happened January 6th to the uprises that took the summer behind the murder of George Floyd? There's no comparison, in my opinion. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. You know, you know, while we you you got the beautiful Marvin on your on your on your sweaters, on your sweatshirt tonight. Yeah. Talk a little bit about you know, why you, why you chose the album and, and how you, you made it so prominent in the film? Well, after, uh, uh, I don't know if the, the, you notice, in 2003, Rolling Stone had a poll of the greatest 500 albums ever. And what's going on was number six. And recently they had a new poll and Marv is now number one. <laughs> right on. 1971, I was in high school. John Duga High School, Coney Island, Brooklyn. And in the library, they had a turn, they had turntables and headphones. So when I should have been in class, I was in a library listening to what's going on again and again. You had the Again, you had, we're talking about vinyl, so you had to flip the, you had to flip it over. You had to flip that bad boy. <laughs> you had to flip that bad boy over. Side B. And so when Lloyd blessed us by sending us the script, I automatically thought of what's going on. The album came out in 1971. Vietnam War was still going on. So the bloods, the black soldiers, that's they were hearing that album where they were in in, in boot camp in, in in the United States 
or when they are sent halfway around the world to the American war. When you yes. go to Vietnam and you say the Vietnam War, you are politely reminded we did not call it that. I'm speaking as the Vietnamese people. They yeah. say it is the American War. Wow. So if you were a, a black soldier of blood, you were listening to Hanoi Hanna. That is a true historical figure. Just like in World War II, you had Axis Sally, who was American on the radio for Nazi Germany. Wow. And in Japan, you had Tokyo Rose. So the and, and the thing is that to get the American soldiers to listen to propaganda, they will play Tokyo Rose, Tokyo Rose in Japan, World War II, Axis yeah. Sally, Nazi Germany, World War II, and Hanoi Hanana, and Hannah Hanoi in Vietnam War to get propaganda and they will play popular music. American music. And in between the songs, that's they would talk. So I really want to include that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you listen, I mean, you go on YouTube and you can hear Hannah Noy's recordings. And the stuff she's saying, I don't think it was propaganda. She was speaking the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And many... If the black soldiers found out about the assassination of Dr. King three days later through her. She was the one on the radio. That's how black soldiers found out Dr. King had been assassinated. That's how black soldiers found out that their brothers and sisters back in America in over 100 cities were burning shit down. And, and, and with the scene we wrote, my brother, that's one of my favorite scenes in the film where we show the division yeah. where they were the brothers that want to like start, they want to set it off. And I'm not talking about, yeah, Arcus were Vietnamese. <laughs> no, no. It yeah. was the Vietnamese. No, exactly. Then you had to the character of our beloved, the late great. Chadwick, who was saying, you can't misplace your anger. That's one of my favorite scenes Yeah, yeah. in the film. But spurred on by hearing through the radio, through Hanoi Hannah, that Dr. King had been assassinated in Memphis, yeah. Tennessee, and telling the black soldiers that their brothers and sisters back in America are burning it down you know, you know in over 100 cities no well, yeah you know and 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 all that was very true you know we did the research on that you know in terms of you know there were guys that wanted to attack you know their fellow soldiers and there was a lot of you know racial friction going on in the vietnam war and, and it's a miracle the friction was there yeah but is a miracle that a civil war did not jump off yeah. Black soldiers against white soldiers in Vietnam post yeah. the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. 
And one thing that we really want the audience to understand is that during the height of the Vietnam War, African-American soldiers were 30% of the fighting forces in Vietnam, yet African-Americans were only 10% of the population of the United States in America. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, and I think people have kind of gotten, a, gotten that, that fact and that figure from the film. I mean, that seems to be something that people really pick up from the movie. You know, while we're talking about Chadwick there, you know, would you, Want to talk about him in the film a little bit? Well, number one, as soon as I found out, I called Ryan Coogler, who directed him in uh, Black Panther. I called him George C. Wolf, who directed him in his last film, Ma Rainey. And I asked both of my brothers, did they know? Right. And they said that they did not know. And I did not know either. Chadwick made the decision that he did not want to be treated differently. He did not want us as directors to, to, to not do as much. He did not want to be treated differently. In the first battle sequence, if people seen the film, Chadwick had to do a lot of running, running from position to position. And I remember telling him, Yo, my brother, you got to run faster. You got to run like using a boat. <laughs> now, Chadwick understood that if he had told me what the deal was, I would not ask him to run faster. He did not want to be treated any differently. So I did not know, along with my other brothers, again, who worked with him. Recently, Ryan Coogler and uh, George C. Wolf. But I think that, again, this is just my, my thinking. I think that Chadwick told God, just give me one more film. Give me one more film and let that be the five bloods. And God said, I got you. I'm going to give you one more. And that was my reign. That's what I think. Yeah. You know, that, that beautiful scene um, where him and Paul. Uh, at the end, right? Yeah, at the end. When, when, when Storm and Norman comes back as, as a ghost to forgive. Yes. Paul's character for killing him in a friendly fire. That's a very emotional scene. And it was emotional. Hair. I mean. I was, electricity was not going through for me, but everybody that was witnessing that scene. And uh, I know people might think I'm crazy, but if you remember the scene, it starts with Paul's character looking into the camera, speaking to the audience about the conversation he had with God. God, he said, God woke his, woke his blacks up. So Delroy's character, Paul, is talking in the camera. And then once he finishes, his eyes move, which is a cue for the camera to leave Paul and tilt up amongst the trees where you see a heavenly light coming down. 
And once we get to the top of, the sh of that shot, the camera descends very slowly and in a very poetic, statuesque pose is Stormin Norman. And on my mother's grave, that, that light was not lit. That light was God's heavenly light. Uh, now, people, you might think that that's some, you know, BS, but as I said before, I'm going to say for the last time on this, this, this thing, but on my mother's grave, that was God's light. Upon that's amazing, man, because that was that was a, that was a, such a beautiful shot, man. Yep. It, it, you know, you know, it's, and the great Tom Seek will tell you we had a fill light, you know, coming from the side, but that light yeah. that's coming down and showering blessing. Chadwick, that is not no light we did. <laughs> that is, that was God's light. Wow. You know, um, you were out in the jungle, long time. Um, you know, those kind of shoots are always hard. Uh, what was what was probably the hardest thing about the shoot, and what what do you think was the What's probably your most excited? I mean, what, what what's the most exciting scene for you in the film? You think? Well, before, one way that I want to start answering your question, sir. I'm a as as you are a tenure professor, <laughs> University of Kansas Jayhawk. Jayhawks. Jayhawks, and I'm a tenure professor in one university. The fighting violence. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I didn't name it. I mean, that's right. And but as a tenure professor and artistic director at graduate film school, on the first day of the semester, I tell, I try to convey to my students that nothing's easy. And this industry is hard as a motherfucker. Hard AF. <laughs> and you you understand what AF means as fuck. Yes, yeah. Not yes. A S A Z. <laughs> let's, let's not get it twisted. Not uh, A Z. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> so uh it was a hard shoot. This is not on the back lot. We in the jungles of Thailand, the jungles in uh, Vietnam. But the camera doesn't lie. The camera reveals. You could try to be slick and fake the funk. Half step. <laughs> but the camera don't go for that. The camera is about truth and honesty. The camera reveals that. I tell my students, I've seen several films where a couple in this film, they're supposed to be married 20 years, and you could tell the scene I'm watching is the first day they ever met. And as you know, yep. the camera reveals all. Now, of course, People say, what about Stanley Kubrick 
shooting a full metal jacket in London. Wife said, look, it was a great film, but it was kind of gloomy. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't real bright, was it? (laughs) And I love my brother. Bronx Science High School. And you know, once Stanley Kubrick got to London, you know, he was not he was not getting on a plane. Every yeah. film was shot there in the UK. But you could make exceptions for masters yes. of the cinema. Yes. But everybody, everybody ain't a master though. <laughs> everybody ain't Kubrick. So you can't do what he did. Yes. You know? Yes, yes, indeed. Um so, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the, the mob, the lynch mob storming the Capitol. I want to connect that with one of the things that the Five Bloods talk a lot about, and that's kind of, you know, and, you, and I think this was important to you with the film, that the promise of America, you know, how black soldiers have always served and, and, and even when, you know, they didn't have rights of their own. They all, we, you know, the promise, they, they fought believing in America, believing that. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that and, and how you wove that into the film. Well, thank you for, the, for that very deep question. Kevin, my brother, our ancestors stolen from Mother Africa. The first ship arrived in Jamestown, 1619. The United States of America was built upon the stealing and genocide of the native people coupled with slavery. That is the foundation. That is the legacy of the United States of America. I hate the term founding fathers, even hearing people I respect use that term and they're anti-Trump. But the founding, we have to be honest, the founding fathers owned slaves. George Washington owned slaves. You can say, you can make a good case that Thomas Jefferson was a pedophile. This is our history. This is our history. I say both now. <laughs> Very cool. And, and it should be taught. Yeah. It should be part of the curriculum. What I just said is a fact. It, and, and we did this in this film, my brother, together. We made a fact that we're going to bring out and talk about Christmas addicts. The first person to die for this country was a black man. Boston Massacre, killed by the British. We talked about our young brother, Mount, uh, uh, Milton Olive, eight years old, Vietnam War, threw his body on a grenade to save his fellow soldiers, sacrificed his life. In fact, I never heard of him. So we started doing research. I think I think you were the one that hit me to Ali uh, said Spike. You heard about 
Milton Arms said, no. So you should you should love you, brother. You know, get get credit for that. Tap yourself on the back. <laughs> I never heard of yeah. Milton Olive. Yeah. And, and I never heard of him. If I ain't heard of him, you know who a lot of them are going to heard of him either. That's right. And That's we right. put that in the film. We yeah. talk about it where Clark Car- Clark Clark's character talks about him. And then we cut to a picture. Yeah. 18 years old. And he in his military, a baby. 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 We, descendants of Africa, have been fighting for this country from day one with the promise that we love the red, white, and blue. The red, white, and blue would love us back. And we're still shot down black and brown people, shot down left and right, like it's all right. And the police who do this very rarely, you know, is is justice, you know, uh, done. And it culminated this summer. And I like to say this. It was my heart was so full. When I saw images of white people not just Americans, but white people, a young generation of white people, my young white sisters and brothers all over the world who were marching, chanting Black Lives Matter, who were kneeling, marching, raising their fist all over the world. That image which you really call a eight minute and 40 second snuff film of our brother in Minneapolis. That hit people's cord. And if you just wanna break it down to the United States, we haven't seen something like that since the Vietnam War. We're black. Where young black and black, brown and white people, especially on on, on college campuses, came together and said this immoral war has to stop. Yeah, and that's what that large part of this film. Yeah, you know, you made a really interesting choice, and you made it early on, from the very beginning, really, to not use the 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 younger actors or or do or a cast, cast younger actors yeah cast younger actors or or you know or or do the do the cg you know effects to make them younger um talk about that choice a little bit would you well it was not a very hard choice kevin as you know we were shopping this project once lloyd you know, asses come aboard and we wrote our script. We shopped this around Hollywood and we were given flat nose or given okays, but with budgets that were 
weren't serious. So I knew that going in that whatever the number we can get, that's got to be the number. And this is where I have to give out a shout out to Ted Serranos, Scott Tooper, Scott Stuper. Excuse my language. Excuse me for mispronouncing your name, Scott. It's been a little, it's been honest, you know, doing this press all day. And Tendo. And when Netflix came to us and said, Spike, we want to do this film, but this is a number. I was not going to fight. I was just happy that we were going to get the film made. And also, I've seen several films in the past where in a situation like this, younger actors were cast with older actors. And, it, and, and I mean, I didn't know who was who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another situation where you they say the character's name ten times, so they only to know who's playing who. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that. Also, as far as CG goes, I had a, a a very hard number for Netflix, and to do the CG would have exceeded the budget. And here's a key thing. My brother, I believe in the intelligence of the audience. I knew that there would be a slight moment where there would be they would be jarred, mm-hmm. but they will quickly get in the flow and understand that the actors all about memory. Right. And they're going back to Vietnam. They were babies when they were in Vietnam. So they're going back to Vietnam as old, grown-ass men. But they're going back looking at themselves when they were babies. Yeah. So I, I, I was confident that the audience would understand that. And they did. It was really pretty amazing, man, because I've never heard one person ever say, you know, they didn't get that or they didn't understand it or I mean, you know, and that was a, I know that was a kind of a, a big choice when when you made it. Got to roll the dice, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're praying, but I don't want mama. First you're saying mama needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> and then secondly, you're saying, come on, I don't want snake eyes. And then you go to my brother, Marlon Brando, from Guys and Dolls, my very, very, very famous scene, Luck Me a Lady Tonight. Luck Me a Lady blow, Tonight. And you, and you blow, Luck Me a Lady Tonight. <laughs> I don't know I'm not thinking, but, and then you blow the dice. Ha! <laughs> that's what we do, Kevin, that's what we do, baby. Is that what we do? That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. You know, um, a lot of people, I think, were kind of blown away at the end with the Black Lives Matter choice as well. And what are you talking about? Yeah, uh, well, you know, with with uh, that, you know, the gold is, you know, oh, gold, yeah, 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 Black Lives Matter, and uh, talk talk about that. Talk about you know people because people thought that maybe you added that at the end or something. 
that you now look here's the thing my production my production company way back when i was a student in morehouse is called 40 acres and a mule that's reparations so it was right it was right it was right there in front of us my brother kevin with the script and i don't know if you ever noticed i don't even know if you ever uh, had known this the treasure sarah madre is one of my favorite films yeah directed by the great john houston who directed his father yeah which is really crazy then one of my favorite actors humphrey bogart (laughs) yes indeed so that element was written into the script that we were sent. So it wasn't easy to add two plus two. Yeah. To make that gold, their reparations, which was brought into the picture, was told by their commander, their mythic commander, Stormy Norman. And another thing people slept on, Kevin, people, a lot of people slept on the fact that the name of the five bloods were the names of the original temptations. The yes, temptation. Very <laughs> few people caught that. That's right. And 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 but Otis actually called you, didn't he? Called me. He got he got in touch with me. Otis, the only living member of the tempting temptations and we had a very nice talk and he really just said thank me from the bottom of his heart and he was speaking not this is just saying for him right. he was calling me speaking on behalf of his brothers yeah who are no longer here yeah. so he was thanking me on behalf of his brothers and himself who no yeah. longer here in their physical sense, yeah. but are here in their their this in the spiritual sense. And, and you know, he called me out the blue. Somehow he found my my phone number, and, wow. and I was not mad. You know, yeah. the oldest was the oldest in the Temptations was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's big stuff, man. I was like, <laughs> it was a you know what? It was a blessing. Yeah. And Kevin, I don't want to speak for you, but there were so many blessings. Oh, no doubt that, that came. Let me use a different word. There was abundance. Yes. In abundance. Yes. Of blessings we got in this film, The Five Bloods. In abundance. You know, I, I, you, you talked about how you know some of the difficulties in getting the movie made and. And I think black veterans, I know they've kind of reached out to you and thanked you for this. So we had, we had, before the film was released, we had five screenings for black and brown veterans for the Vietnam War. It was, it was very emotional because I didn't, in my research, whatever war it is, people don't want to talk about it. You know, they see things that they don't want to share. And so, Kevin, we had five screenings, four or five, 
before the film was released because I wanted these elderly black men and brown men because we have Puerto Ricans, New York Ricans that you yeah. know were there too, Bawikwas, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, they were babies, 16, 78 years old when they went halfway around the world to fight in a moral immoral war. And it was it was very emotional for them. And there were several of our heroes, our American patriots, who they had, in the middle, you know, in the, in the film, they had to get up and leave, and, and you know, for a minute, and just get themselves together in the lobby. But they came back, and in the battle sequences, I'm I'm I made it a point because I, I said Spike sit in the last row, so I could see what what their axes are. Mm -hmm. When the battle sequence started, they started ducking, wow. kicking the chairs. Mm. They were ducking. Mm. No boot. And when the lights came up, it was a long, long silence. They started to deploy. And I went to the front of the screen and thanked them. I thanked them for coming. I thank them for being heroes. And let's be honest, black, white, or brown, when you came back to Vietnam, you were you getting, get no, you're getting no love. No you, love. You no. call baby baby killers. That's right. So I thank them, and they, the line was formed. I, I moved from the in front of the screen. I went to the door, so I could get a big hug from each one of them. And those were the, some of the greatest hugs I ever received in my life. Many of these brothers had tears in their eyes, and, and knowing these guys, they're like, "Yo, Spike, what's up, baby?" Especially the guys from Brooklyn. Yo, Spike, man, why you making us so? Why you made it wait so long? <laughs> We've been waiting on you. And you deal with Miracle St. Anna, we said, oh, yeah, 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 it's going to be soon. Why you make us wait so long? <laughs> There's a gap. Miracle St. Miracle Anna, World War, Black Soldiers, World War II. The yeah. Buffalo Soldiers. Buffalo Soldiers. Yeah. So after that film, they thought, like, the next one's going to be Vietnam. <laughs> Gotta be, right? They're like, yo, Spike, yo, what's up with that? You made us wait. <laughs> well, I tell you, Spike, last one here. Um you know, anything you want to say about the film? Well, we, we call it good for tonight. Well, I want to thank everyone for uh, taking your time out on this MLK National Holiday Weekend. My Morehouse brother, Martin Luther King. When Martin Luther King graduated from Morehouse as a 19-year-old, a senior, my father was a freshman. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King III, his son, and I were classmates in Morehouse, class of 79, along with Jay Johnson, the former, you know, uh, Homeland Security. Yeah, we were all in the same class. Jay, Marty, and myself. We lived, I want every first, and another thing, the, the, even before that, I should have got my order in straight 
I want everybody to be safe. This 19, this Rona, as they say in the hood, that 19, that Rona is not a hoax. It's not a joke. And we're going to be at, at a number of 400,000 Americans and large dead families who might never recover from that loss. The hundreds of thousands of Americans who should not be dead. And those lives that were lost on the bloody hands of Agent Orange. He didn't give a, excuse people, forgive my profanity right here, but he didn't give a, our President of the United States did not give a, it was the flu. We're gonna have it done right away. Oops. It was a hoax. And many people are dead now who believe that because they don't wear a mask. So the times we live in are going to go down to infamy. Not just American history, but world history. And Agent Orange, I, I, I just want to tell some people who might be familiar with the term. I don't call this guy by his name. I call him Agent Orange, Agent Orange, which the great Buster Rhymes came up with that, that nickname, Agent Orange. For the fact it looks Agent Orange. It looks orange. And the fact that you know, we know what Agent Orange did the devastation Agent Orange did during the Vietnam War. I mean, the intent was to kill the Viet, the Viet Cong and wipe out all the greenery. But sadly, American soldiers died from breathing Agent Orange. And, you know, I just think that we got to tell the truth. This country's done some stuff. And we're not going to get to where we need to be if we be honest and just acknowledge the history of this country. Then we move forward, I think. You know, that's my, again, that's my opinion. I'm not speaking for nobody but Shelton Jackson, Spike Lee. Thank you, Spike. We appreciate it, brother. And, and, and I want to thank you for all for our friendship. Oh man, thank you, brother. For for our love that flows between us, our families, for our love of being professors and teaching young filmmakers what they tell them, what they might not want to hear. Yeah. What they need to hear. Amen. And both of us could easily not teach, but we love to teach. And we are blessed where we could 
teach and still make our films. Amen, brother. And as you know, I'm gonna say on this one to speak for you, if I if I may. And I say this many times in my public speakings. Parents kill more dreams than anybody. I'm gonna repeat that. Yeah. Well. Parents kill more dreams than anybody. And so we were blessed, Kevin. Yes, we were. Parents who did not tell us that we couldn't do at an early age whatever we wanted to do, but also we had to work yeah. hard. That's right. My mother told me at a very early age, and I didn't even understand it, that that I that the whatever, and I didn't even know one. I mean, I'm eight, nine years old. I don't know what the I wanted to do. I'm mean, a kid. My mother told me, my late mother played by Alfie Wood in my film in, in the film Crooklyn. She told me at a very young age, Spike, you gotta be 10 times better than your white classmates. And I understand it. And I'll say, mommy, you know, that doesn't sound unfair. My mother could curse. My mother would say, fuck fair. <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah. And she would tell me in every honest that you, you that just being as good ain't gonna get it because it's not set up for us to win. Yeah. I know you your parent, you heard that too, right? Oh tell, everything. Am, am I making it up? Kevin? Dude, tell, that, that's, that's, tell the audience. Tell the audience. That's the speech, brother. That's the speech, man. And 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 they didn't stand in our way, and, and they encouraged us, and said, "Let us do our thing, man. They let us do they our thing." You got to work, though, right? Come on. Then they said you got to work hard, and they and they, you know, they and they could only help us so much. You know, you had to go out there and find a way to get it done. Make a way. Got to make a way. Make yeah. a way. Yeah, man, and you know, and that's what we tell these young people that you got to find a, you got to make a way. You got to find a way. Make a way. I can't take no for an answer. You got to keep on keeping on. Yeah. Well, thank you, Spike. Good to see you, brother, man. It's good to see you. And uh, uh, I know we're in the COVID, but we got we to keep up a little bit more, all right? Yeah, for sure, Kat. For sure, man. Phone, Zoom. Hey, Zoom is killing me. I'm oh, like. I know, man. Cat's <laughs> <laughs> our age. We only want to do the Zoom so much. Woo! <laughs> so we end it like this. Zoom is hard AF. <laughs> I love you, man. All right, love you too, Kat. Be safe. And, and thank you, everyone. Be safe. Please be safe. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Regina King, Vigo Mortensen, and Aaron Sorkin. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.